This is a special Uncommon Sense podcast for 3RRR-FM with Amy Mullins. The interview you're about to hear is with British musician, environmentalist and activist Nick Mulvey. Nick joined me for a special in-depth conversation about his latest album, New Mythology. Nick goes deep into the songs on the album and the life philosophies and thinkers that inspired him, including the late Vietnamese Buddhist monk, Thich Nhat Han. Nick explains how he's always trying to explore the planetary through the personal with his music. He shares his songwriting process and some of the fascinating stories behind the tracks on his album, including Shores of Mona, Causes, The Gift, Star Nation and Begin Again. And I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by artist, musician, environmentalist and activist Nick Mulvey. Nick is based over in the United Kingdom and he was a founding member of Portico Quartet where he played the hang drum until 2011 when he embarked on a solo career in music and he has released a few albums already. We'll get to reference a couple but we are here in particular to talk about Nick's new album which has been released in June here in Australia. It's called New Mythology and it's out through Fiction Records and Virgin Music Australia. So I'm very, very delighted and pleased to welcome onto the show Nick Mulvey. Hi there, Nick. Thank you, Amy. Hi. It's a pleasure to be here. It's lovely to have you on the show. And uh, how are you enjoying the European summer? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in a good flow. I'm enjoying this summer. I live between the UK, where I'm from, born and raised here, and in Spain. And I, I live part of the time in Ibiza in Spain. So, you know, as a Northern European, as a Northerner, you know, and I'm used to these kind of generally cold climate and shorter summers, I have to say being based in Spain part of the time means I feel like this summer's been very long in a very nice way, mm. which is quite normal for you down where you are. But, um, yeah, it's been really long. I've been releasing this album and touring and then uh, now I'm in the UK and bringing my kids over here to to really drop into where they're from and where they're born. Mm, That sounds amazing and I read that you grew up in Cambridge in England that did make me wonder given that your music is very grounded in place and nature and how we're connected to our environment and our surrounds how have you been influenced by England in particular? And, you know, a lot of your songs do reference history. I'm thinking, you know, Shores of Mona and Mona mm. and some of the Welsh and Celtic history. Are there parts of England that have really resonated with you or even parts of Europe and whether that has made its way into your music at all? Yeah, um, Music is very deeply influenced by place and by where I'm from and my relationship to to Britain and the British landscape and, and our history. So, I mean, it starts with just a, yeah, just, you know, through my life, growing an awareness of my love for the landscape, the land itself, the trees. And, you know, I grew up in the town in Cambridge, but yes, I've lived in different parts of the countryside in the UK. And now, actually, that I'm based, as I said, part of the time in Spain, it's actually deepened my love for England and has actually, in often missing the landscape and missing the trees, I'm sure is why it's turning up more in this new album, New Mythology. I've always been very inspired by indigenous wisdoms from different parts of the world. And that kind of led 
through this deep love of my landscape in Britain, in my 20s, I started to wonder about like just some really basic questions about, well, what happened to our indigenous? What does it mean to be indigenous as a Northern European? Can we even explore that? Can we ask that question? What happened to our belonging to our land? What does it mean to um, to belong to the land rather than just live on the land and extract from the land? And that has been a real deep inquiry for me and has has inspired a lot of the music on this new record. And especially like, why are those questions about belonging to land, why are they so vital and so urgent in these times of ecological crisis and, and even questions of justice and like, all, all through our whole human world? Like, and why are these questions so vital right now? Mm. I began to like explore what happened to our our indigenous belonging, and that led me to an elder in the UK called Mac McCartney and his work around uh, a book called The Children's Fire, um, and other authors like Manda Scott and her work on a series of books called Boudica, and all of these things pointed to the, the pre-Roman Celtic culture. And my father's side is all Irish, so the, the surname Mulvey is all Irish, and I feel a very deep connection to our Celtic origins and roots. And and those kind of those books that I just mentioned there, and, and, and that kind of line of questioning led me to be interested in, in our pre-Roman Celtic culture, and and kind of what happened with the Romans decimated that culture. The Romans, in many ways, were the origin of of what we can what we see as like domination culture around the planet. Now there's these are, these are big questions over huge time spans with a lot of complexity and not not meaning to simplify them. But it was very interesting for me to learn through my love of the land, as I said, and through my dismay at the loss of biodiversity and the extreme loss of health of our rivers. And, you know, when you grow up somewhere and it's kind of normal to see the land in a certain way, it, it takes a whole journey of, of kind of learning to begin to see that the land is very scarred or the land is very distorted through industrial agriculture or through urbanization and through friends or I began to be able to see that and then began to learn about the legacy of trauma and the legacy of, of even genocide of the Celtic people that, that, that many of the threads do go back to the Romans it's really formed these songs on my album called the shores of Mona and then the song Mona Mm, yeah, no, I was really interested in your description of Shores of Mona and Mona because I saw that you were doing some Q&As on Instagram, which I found really enjoyable because it was great to get that behind the scenes. What was going through your head and what was happening at the time when you were writing some of these songs? And yeah, it was really fascinating to hear about one of the explanations you gave when you were looking at a song called Causes, which I really, really loved. And you were saying that you were writing it, you were in South London and you met up with Merlin Sheldrake yeah. at a New Year's Eve party. Yeah. It's funny because I interviewed Merlin about that book that you were referencing and it's such an amazing, you know, it opens your mind. It's deeply philosophical too, that book. Yeah. He's a very deep thinker. Yes, absolutely. And it was so great to hear his influence when you were writing that song. Yeah, there's so much woven into these songs. It's, for me, it's a real joy to unpack them and, and to have this space with my followers to go into the actual level of depth of the, of the work. And, and likewise here, it's, it's, um, it's a pleasure to be able to... Uh, to have space for that. So thank you. Um, and I have always said that this album is a very mycelial effort in the sense of the mycelial network, like how we are beginning through people like Merlin Sheldrake and through others, like beginning to really fathom, beginning to understand like the role of and the intelligence of, 
of mushrooms, but also the inspiration of how we as humans can connect and share and support in, in similar ways. And in fact, like, I think we're living through times of great shift. I think we're living through times of great transformation. I'm kind of as lost as everyone else, but we have scraps of maps. And, you know, there's, there's being lost without a map or there's being lost with map. And I've heard people describe the kind of world that we're leaving behind as, as being best described by the pyramid shape with the, the few at the top and the many at the bottom. And, and where we're moving towards is more better described in the shape of ever interlocking equal circles, like a net where each circle is, is sovereign and, and, and equally important as the next, but, but we're, we're interlocked and we're interconnected. And so that's the mycelial kind of shape. And at a certain point in writing this album, I remember chatting with a friend where I said, this, it's wonderful how many people are feeling the conversations around this, these songs. But I kind of had a moment of doubt about like, was it weaker or was it diluted or, or was it? And then my friend said, no, like, th I think this is a very of its time. I think this is, it is a strength of, of the process and the work. And it's very true with new mythology. I am the author. and I've worked really hard to write and create this album. But it's a collective effort. I'm riding a wave. I'm part of a much bigger cultural shift and movement. And so to have the presence of people like Merlin Sheldrake and to, and to tell the story of that. So it was just before the pandemic. So it was New Year's Eve 2019 into 2020, I, I guess it was. And um, I was in London. And when I'm half writing the songs and they're in a place where I can, I can share them, I often like to, particularly at a party where it's kind of, it's quite playful and, and there are people listening, but it's not too much scrutiny, like you're on stage or something. Yeah. And I was jamming on a bunch of the new stuff and it was a very, you know, vibey moment. Everyone having a jolly old time on New Year's Eve and, and at their shining best, shall we say. And Merlin seemed to really tune into this half-written song that I had that began with a phrase I'd heard attributed to the Buddha, which the Buddha supposedly said, you who hate suffering, but love its causes so much. And I thought when I heard that, maybe a few weeks before, I thought how profoundly universal that is, that we all hate suffering. We, we, we know how that feels and we don't like it. And yet are we aware of the habits and patterns and the choices we make that directly and continuously create suffering? And there's a certain empowerment contained within that phrase because it implies we are responsible for our lives. We are responsible for how we react to what's happening in our lives. We're not responsible for what's happening in our lives, but for the sense we make of it. Am I a victim or do I choose not to be a victim? Is within our power. So I think that this phrase from the Buddha is pointing to that. And lo and behold, there it was becoming a chorus in my song. And then Merlin's there and Merlin's so passionate and he's so inspired like literally the inspiration running through that guy is <laughs> something in itself to behold i mean the whole family the sheldrakes his brother is a is, is a very creative musician his dad and his mum they're all eminent thinkers and they're all mm. it's an actual great joy to spend time with them as a family like the wonderfully inspired eccentric brilliant people big open hearts and very educated and he was very moved by this song as it was forming and yeah, I remember his, his one piece of direction he shared was like, the verses are just kind of vehicles to get to that chorus. And each verse could be a meditation or an, an, a kind of inquiry into the, the different ways in which we suffer or that we create our own suffering. And so that kind of gave me the blueprint of this song and um, is a good example of, as I said, the mycelial origins of this album. I love that comparison. 
I'm sure many of our listeners do too because they love fungi. Let's jump into some of the other tracks and I also want to get into some of the technical elements too. But I really, really loved, and this seems to go off at your concerts because I saw a live stream of your New York concert mm-hmm. recently, which I was watching live at the time. Amazing. Um, but I really enjoyed Amazing. it. Amazing. Yeah. No, it just took me back to the concerts I used to go to. They're really intimate they're very earnest, like a beautiful sharing space yeah. where people are really into things and singing and enjoying themselves. And yeah, there are a couple of tracks that really got me going. And one of them was The Gift, yes, which is just amazing when you hear that live through that live stream. And it must be even better when you're actually there. Thank you. But I wondered if you could tell me about that song. And obviously it's influenced by other cultures as well. You can kind of feel a different beat and I don't know, there's just something really special about it to me. Thank you. Um, yeah, the gift is just a direct kind of connection at, at the shows. Like it's really, and I think actually what happens at the shows in the moment that the the, the the chorus hits is actually the same as what happened to me from the origins of the song. In the sense that the song is actually a collaboration. It's a co-write with a a friend of mine, a musician from London called Theo Bard, and Theo actually received the main chorus and we were at a a wedding back a while ago back in 2019 and it was a really it was, it was artist friends from east london it was a great party at this wedding and it was around a big fire and everyone was sharing songs and everyone was like on point and theo launched into an early version of this song the gift so actually i had the experience with being an audience member because he had the chorus basically he didn't have any of the verses wow. and he had a very early structure but he had, it's a gift that you keep on giving me. It's a gift. And I just, obviously, I'm very fine-tuned to songwriting things. I, I'm deeply immersed in songs. And so I really recognised a very great chorus. I thought it was a very simple, but very great chorus when I heard it. Mm. And I immediately said, Do tell me everything about it. What's that song? And he was delighted. He was like, yeah, I just you know wrote this chorus the other day. And straight off the bat, I said, Theo, could I collaborate with you on this? You know, have you, have you written, have you finished the choruses? And he was really, really happy and open from the beginning. So essentially, I've written the verses or most of the verses. My inclination then was to take the verses to a... I basically wanted to leave it kind of opaque. I didn't want to spell things out. I didn't want to um, over-explain anything, but I wanted to take the choruses to a kind of ecological place Mm. so that then the the verses would have this kind of like, you know, juxtaposition of singing about what we are perhaps potentially losing in this age and then seeing it, it's a gift that you keep on giving me. And actually, it was just like the um, how good it personally felt to me in 2022 to say this life that you keep on giving me, this life that you keep on giving me. So in a way, like all sorts of different ways, I'm always interested in how lyrics and lines speak to or speak about consciousness and awareness or, or like god i don't use religious language so much myself but i kind of I'm, I'm quite fine i have comfortable definitions of god for myself and you know infinite formless awareness that knows my experience and gives rise to all form and the universe and and that we share this ground of being this shared ground of interbeing with all other individuals and humans animals things and so it's a gift that you keep on giving me is quite a delicious lyric in this age because we are faced with the stark reality of what is finite, what is limited, what we are living beyond planetary boundaries. We are we are living in a way that, that isn't supportable. Yeah, yeah. And yet what are 
we fundamentally like of course i am an individual with a body and a personality and all of that but we're we're learning i think we are learning in this age of quite rapid revelation that like although those individuated separate selves are the operating system for this reality and i'm me nick chatting to you there amy and and like that's to be lived and celebrated and will be grieved when 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 we die and you know actually grounding one's identity in that individuated separate self is a grave error and a grave mistake and and if we really see this is awakening it's what people talk about awakening as a shift in identity from not only knowing yourself as a separate self but being aware of the awareness that knows my experience and and when you turn your sights inward on awareness then you start the infinite game and so it, with the context of, of that then singing it's a gift that you keep on giving me sung from the higher self as it were it resonates in a different way because uh, awareness it does not share the same destinies as the body or the earth or the world is infinite is that making sense <laughs> it does yeah yeah Good. It's giving another perspective. It's also kind of allowing yourself to have perspective on yourself, really. Yeah. There's a kind of separation there, which I find helpful. Like, I really appreciate the other influences that you have brought into this album, you know, that you've spoken about. Like, there's a a Vietnamese Buddhist monk Mm. who I think you said, you know, has heavily influenced you and you've kind of referenced some of his thoughts in in your lyrics on this album as well. So there's a whole range of non-Western influences. Yeah, very much so. It's, it's a it's a patchwork of all the things I've been interested in, from the non duality teachings, non duality teachings about consciousness, awareness, often from traditionally over the last hundred years coming to the West from the East. And I love the saints. I love the saints. I love I love those human beings who show us in their shining example, like what life is about, what we're capable of, who we really are and how to extricate ourselves from being more of the mess on planet Earth. And, and in one of those in, in modern times, in my opinion, very much be the recently deceased Thich Nhat Hanh, who you just mentioned from Vietnam, who's a super global, very famous name, you know, and he, and he was right there side by side with Martin Luther King when he was a young man back in the 60s. And then he's been an incredible presence of peace and teaching on, on planet Earth over the last 70, 80 years. And, um, he would teach things amazing that, that then really resonate in this age of, of returning to our earth wisdom. So, you know, all these things about teaching about consciousness and the abstract, and we can look at the sort of patriarchal and, and matriarchal, like the patriarchal being the abstract God in the heavens and all that kind of emptiness and awareness. And then the the matriarchal end of the polarity being the the manifest, the earth, the form, the, the shamanic, the feminine, the the juicy soil, the the trees. I, I've been interested to sort of see these broad trends of how there was a deference to the point of imbalance towards the, the patriarchal kind of approach. Mm. And that like, of course, we need to live the rebalancing of a true understanding of, of the teachings within some, say, Buddhism, of course, has a very earth honouring of the sacred feminine. And, and of course, and I think in a rapid, in rapid ways, in many different areas now as we are in this precarious moment we are coming back to the mother to the earth and to the world of the manifest form and, and all that by way of, of introducing this idea that i heard Tiknak khan say about how he said pause for a moment and look at the word environment how we use the word environment what we really mean when we generally 
in the English language use the word the environment is basically everything other than me. So if I look at the room I'm in, I talk about the environment of this room, I'm talking about the walls, the furniture, the windows, the objects, everything other than me. And if we look at the planet, we mean everything other than me. And in doing so, we are unconsciously perpetuating some of the core problem, which is this lack of self-awareness, this lack of self-knowledge, this this division, which which means we only we have fixated on the world of form and not understanding who or what is looking. And this fundamental ignorance of our own self-nature is the grounds from which the seeds of extractivism can grow or the seeds of, of injustice of how we can harm our brothers and sisters can happen. It, when we see ourselves as only separate selves, then only then can we cause harm or, 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 or exploit and live in this in these ways and, and in fact deeply seeking wholeness and, and belonging is is largely the drivers for our overconsumption anyway there's fueling climate crisis yeah and obviously it ties back into your interest in indigenous cultures and their very close extremely interconnected relationship with for aboriginal australians here country everything is connected we're so fortunate to have a connection with the oldest living continuous mm. you know indigenous culture here in australia and you know we have a long way to go in terms of showing the deep respect that we should for their knowledge and culture but it seems like all that you know that colonizing mindset that you're referencing there really is something that's so destructive and exploitative and it's almost like we've gone too far in the wrong direction. You know, there's still all these other cultures who've been around for much longer practicing something that is just so obvious to them. And then unfortunately, it's now not obvious to us, but I'm sure it may have been centuries ago when we were much more reliant on the land. We were much more in tune with what was happening because it was like this all powerful, scary thing, you know, that could cause floods and fires. And we didn't know what caused it. And we thought maybe God was causing it because it was so scary sometimes. And I don't know, it did make me reflect hearing your lyrics and your thoughts on that just how far globalization has taken us down a very difficult path. And it seems that this album does cover off on so many aspects to that, but also it's not just doom and gloom. There's a lot of no. hope in your album. Yeah. That's what's so great about it. It's like very uplifting as well, which is just brilliant. Yeah, like I feel very like honoured by what's happening in, in my gigs when we're actually all in the same room and I'm, and I'm performing the music and what's happening with this album and, and, and the space around it, everyone listening to it, because it's, I'm trying to really show up in these times, which means like talking about this stuff, like really sitting in the fire of, of the reality of, of where we're at. And yet at the same time, like part of the gigs is, is, is a space to really hold everyone's fears. And, and part of the holding of it is, is about joy because it's like, Actually, showing up in these times means we are, you know, clear-sighted about the, the catastrophes, yes, but also, like, how good it is to be alive and how, like, wondrous and what a gift every day is and, like, how, how good the ancestors are to us. How, you know, I'm a big believer in radical joy, not because, like, necessarily every day there is, we should feel joyful, but because when we are joyful, we have all of our capacities switched on 
we go way further for other people we go way further for ourselves we're much more sharper we're much more absorbent of new things new ideas much more flexible much stronger yeah. and that's the mindset and the attitude we need that these times are desperately calling for we need activated people with clear minds grounded feet energized bodies and that, that's the joy state you know like the joy state is way more able to deal with these times and to speak to your earlier points about indigenous wisdoms and decolonizing ourselves and, and understanding ourselves in, in this scheme of the natural world. I heard this amazing point made by Naomi Klein, the author, who said that, you know, she made this point about looking in our recent past, about kind of 300 years ago, just around the beginnings of the Industrial Revolution and, and this kind of super accelerated journey we've been on. She was looking around then saying like, at a certain point, we invented the steam engine, I think in England, certainly in Europe. And, and before the steam engine, if you wanted to have a factory, you had to place it by the river because the river would turn your wheels and that would generate the power for the factory. And before the steam engine, if you wanted to travel by boat, you had to use the wind. You had to collaborate with the wind because you had sails and then, and therefore you were always in in participation and collaboration with the natural elements and indeed dependent on them mm. in so many ways that would have just seemed unquestionably obvious in very daily ways human beings knew their place in the scheme of things and knew their dependence on them and, and, and knowing your place in the scheme of things is, is the definition of humility and being humble is, is knowing your place in the scheme of things so we were reminded by that all the time then we started this big journey in tech you know in with the steam engine technology like we we were powerful and we were super clever and we started to make these engines and now we could go against the wind didn't matter which way the wind blowing we could go wherever we wanted didn't matter where the river was we could build our factories wherever we liked and then we kind of said in combination with some profoundly misunderstood old testament sentiments like man is made in god's image you know so you know with those things misunderstood and the creation of our technology, Naomi Klein was saying, it's almost really understandable that our forefathers got so high and mighty and believed ourselves to be the conquerors and the dominators of the natural world. Like, it was almost too too seductive. But that journey, which started 300 years ago, is up. The time is done. Like When I'm on the second track of the album, there's a song called Star Nation, I start with singing, the time of the lone wolf is done. That is what I'm referring to human beings ability to believe ourselves separate and superior to the natural world like that is what we are living through the end of that of all of that and giving birth to what comes next yeah well that song actually it sounds in terms of its melody quite upbeat you know it has a very for want of a better word happy vibe to it you know a lot of your music and probably why I like it so much is because it's got a lot of minor chords and minor notes in it and mm. some flats and I'm I'm not really a fan of like C major and yeah yeah <laughs> all the happy songs but that song definitely gives you this kind of breath of fresh air in the sense of like oh here's something that's a driving force that's the kind of sense that it gives you yeah, I mean, I'm always looking for a sweet spot in the music, mm. a sweet spot with the actual way the chords work and the and the melodies work. It's a feeling thing. I'm, I'm, it's not like I'm thinking my way there, but there's a spot that I've loved in lots of the music that I grew up on. Often African music would have this kind of like, there's an uplift to it. There's there's essentially an uplift. It's, it's energised. Yeah. Not necessarily upbeat mm. or always fast, although sometimes it is, but there's a certain like energised, there's a certain kind of propulsion. There's an uplift. As we give voice to our pain, as we give voice to our sorrow, 
I'm looking for this sweet spot between those kind of different energies pulling in different directions that is really kind of where life is. It's really where like life is so fucking beautiful and none of it's going to last. I love my family so much. And so you're going to make me lonesome when you go as Bob Dylan sings. It's like when we love, we also grieve because everything's impermanent and, and life is so rich and beautiful. And, and I think all of that kind of sentiment can be kind of just like present almost encoded in, into the kind of chords and, and star nation has that and it's such a wild wild time to be alive it's it's almost astonishing it's like wow <laughs> and that is there within this song and within the, these different feelings yeah yeah when you're talking about finding that balance but also that there's some kind of driving force or something like an energy it does remind me of Begin Again, which mm. does feature on this album. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it was part of the Begin Again EP, which came out in 2020. So it must have been a you know pandemic-timed release, yeah. which is probably great for us because we were all listening to music and, and make sense of what was happening at the time. But I really loved watching the Begin Again film because you were describing your journey writing that song Mm -hmm. and I just loved you know you're talking about um, the ancestral connections that you were making Mm -hmm. on your maternal side because that's something I have done myself in the last year and it is something that's like it feels like you're putting pieces together of your own life when you're putting the puzzle together of your ancestors there are so many eerie similarities or eerie things that feel so right you know that it's passed on as you've referenced in that film like through dna through yeah you know culture yeah i just loved your explanation of that and i wondered if you could perhaps share your inspiration especially for begin again because i know it's a big favorite of many people um yeah when you hear at gigs everyone's screaming out begin again yeah yeah (laughs) Um, like song has has like ridden me has flowed through me like and that's why i've taken time to, to i don't always like to explain I'm, I'm happy to talk about it, but I think mm. I think the meaning of the work comes from the meeting of the author and the listener, you know, and, and the sense the listener brings to it is is what creates ultimately the meaning. So I can't always sit and explain it all. But with that said, there were so many layers in this song and I feel really passionate about and I feel they are important in these times that I did want to make spaces to talk about talk about it um, and unpack it a bit which is why I made that little film because yeah beginning again is particularly laid and it started with actually I'm, I'm, I'm a bit more what's the word candid about the actual origins of it now I, I've shied away from saying them sometimes but I, I see no, no reason not to these days which is that it came from a plant medicine ceremony I was in a very well held space working with the San Pedro cactus and it was a profound day <laughs> my god and uh, profound experience and at some point within this working with this medicine and this deeply hallucinogenic experience and shamanic experience I found myself releasing these enormous tears big tears that I I just knew were for my mother's mother Mary and like I was basically given to these tears and, and, and just crying them through but there was one part of me that was still kind of separate from from this experience and aware of the fact that this was quite odd for me. This was quite strange because we never spoke about Mary as I grew up much, not for any reason, just, you know, she died long before I was born and there were other grandparents I didn't know in person. And 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 I hadn't never really asked my mum about Mary, but suddenly like there she was and, and here I was crying and, and I kind of like knew enough about these sort of experiences that I just went, I went with it. 
And then when I, as I was kind of like bringing myself back together, I had this very clear lyric. Mary was my mother's mother and my sister too. Because my sister is actually called, my older sister is called Mary, named after this grandmother. So it's just a, a uh, Mary was my mother's mother and my sister too is, is, is quite a factual statement for me. But I like the rhythm of it. I like the way it's it's, it's about like mm. declaring my my kind of love for the, for women, for the women in my family. She's my sister. She's my grandmother, but she's my sister. There's some solidarity in that. And um, and I didn't even think it was months later. That I thought, oh, that sounds a bit like sort of Jesusy. And I sort of laughed at that. I didn't. It didn't intend that. And I don't. I don't. I don't mind that. It wasn't my intention. But um, and then I knew. First of all, primarily, this is not a song. This is actually my inquiry into my mother's mother, my grandmother, Mary, and who was she? And that then led me on a journey over the next kind of year. I was interested in who she was and learning about her. And all the while, I did sense, because it was, there was a very lyrical opening right from the beginning, that it would become a song. And actually, was, as I picked up the guitar and started to work with it as a song, I knew immediately after that line that I wanted to go to the water element to the element of water so mary was my mother's mother and my sister too there's rain in the river there's a river running through to the sea around these islands crying tears of sorrow and pain there's rain in the river there's a river in my veins mary young as we may be you know the blood in you and me is as old as blood can be as old as blood can be so with the kind of overlapping lyrics of about rivers and rain and tears and then veins in my body i'm very intentionally going from the elemental external natural world and the the rivers and and the rain into my own rivers my veins my tears into my own waters and Mm. then I I think around that point having got the first stanza there I was like oh I've got it I'm going to write this piece which is exploring my mother's mother Mary my reconnection to to that ancestral healing and also expressing this grief and this grief piece. And it's going to be interwoven with the tissues of our lands, the, the, the rivers, the animals. And it was at that point that I, I, I went and actually spent time with someone I mentioned earlier in our conversation, an elder in the UK called Mac McCartney. And Mac was mentored by the Lakota people in North America in the 80s. And, and he's been a kind of elder, very much a thought leader ahead of the game around ecology and, and shamanism and, and ancestry and stuff and the Celts. And he immediately got this song. I showed him this bare works and bones of the songs. And then and then he was talking and, and, and we kind of jammed around. This is why it's mycelial, you know, another example of the mycelial network of this album. Yeah. This co-creation. He loved the song. He kind of got it. And he said, you know, with respect and love for this global shamanic culture and plant medicines and how they're moving around the world, it's also very problematic and can be part of the extractivist mindset and those post-colonial tendencies. And he said, when I'm in the Northern Europe, when I'm in Northern Europe, every time I hear someone talking about the hummingbird or the black jaguar, he said, you know, I just feel the rabbits and the falcons of these lands and the badgers and the foxes. I just hear them walk away. I just hear them leave the circle they're not cared for they're not considered totemic or shamanic and i hear the walk away and this kind of like broke my heart i was like oh my god yes and can i consider our animals as shamanic can i consider them as totemic so i resolved then that i would go from the waters and the rivers into verses about our animals so that has there's loads more I can say, Amy, as well. I can just keep talking about this song. You know, yeah, there's, yeah. there's layers. Of it. But it goes on from there, yeah. Well, I know that, you know, in that video, you say it's a grief piece mm. as well, but it also goes hand in hand with celebration because they're both about deep feeling for what we love and the temporary nature of what we love. And I was interested in that because every time I've heard that song, I've cried. 
and I've had shivers or chills. And I do get that with some songs, but not that many. I can literally name the ones. So now when I listen to it, I have to be okay with anyone around me because I know I'm going to cry when I hear right. it. Right, <laughs> yeah. But it it seemed to do that with other people. When I watched the live stream, there were other people who were like, wow, I'm literally crying right now. And it seems to have some kind of, I don't know, it has something for me. And I wonder whether you have that feeling with music, whether it's you know yours or other people's music. Do you ever get that kind of really sudden or unexpected emotional response of listening to something? Definitely. Definitely, and it's what music's good for. And like, sometimes I've been on, you know, in tears, and also in a state of revelation, kind of grief moving, but also like wonder and a heart opening moment. And I've been in awe of the sophistication of music, like not sophistication in just a mental way with like incredible constructs, but actually like when you do certain things with the actual music, how the chords work. And how those musical elements can literally open your physiology. They open your heart. They, they they actually like can change your state. And then you pop into the mix certain suggestions lyrically or like ideas. Boom. Like, of course, I'm, we- I'm weeping, you know. Mm. Like, and, and I've felt that. Yeah, I've felt that all the time with music. And that's totally my experience with writing this music like what's happening I think for most of the listeners is very much what's happening I cried a bucket with writing begin again you know because because oh, we all we I'm all, glad to hear yeah, that because we all yeah big time like we all hold yeah you know so much about how we actually feel about what's happening to our world mm. I'm a big fan of uh, of an American activist and author and Buddhist called Joanna Macy and Joanna Macy is such a shining light in, the, in, in these times and and I just heard her the other day just saying, like, you know, the consumer society tells us to go out and shop, but really all we want to do is is cry. We want to cry about what's happening to our to our earth. And I think when someone asked Thich Nhat Khan, the Vietnamese teacher, what is the most important thing in this time? And I think he, he said that we feel the earth's cry. Yeah. But I'm always trying to explore the, the planetary through the personal, you know, so there's the planetary, but when we get it through the personal, like in this case, we begin again through my own grandmother and my my realising that, oh, I'm her grandson. And, and that was an act of personal integration. Like, oh, like some five-year-old part of me was like, I'm her grandson. Like, I can, I can feel that grandmother love and it doesn't matter. Actually, I can access that grandmother love whether or not she's still alive in physical form, you know? Mm. So this is ancestral healing. This is this is connection. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. I think that chorus line, like, can we begin again? Oh, baby, it's me again. I know you are so different to me, but I love you just the same. And then repeating, I love you just the same. And it's just like, yeah. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. Like, just learning, like that part, for example, as well, was, was came from a conversation with a, a friend of mine called Felipe Viveros who's a real thinker and a writer and, and thinks deeply about these times. And I was chatting with him about if this is referring to the lyric you just said then about, I know you are so different to me, but I love you just the same. I had a chat with him about realizing some pretty obvious stuff, but whatever, I didn't get it at first, which is like my impulse to sing about oneness and, and the universal nature of, of, of being is very innocent and, and very true. But I was just awakening to some more complexities about if you are, as I am, a white man on stage, even further than that, a heterosexual white man on stage with a guitar singing about oneness, even though I'm singing about 
beyond the world of form. If you're in the audience and you don't share the same demographic features as me and your life experience, therefore, is very different and not privileged in the same ways that my life is by virtue of being those things, perhaps in this world, then the words I'm singing very differently sound the same. Sometimes a white man singing about oneness is, is, can sound horribly wrong because it can sound like, like not oneness, but kind of a uh, monoculture-ish. Like, are we all the same as me? Like, I'm as a white man. Like, it can sound hugely ignorant. It's very interesting. It was a really interesting conversation to unpack. And, like, mm. and therefore, we, we got to this point where I was like, the penny was dropping. Like I said, it's not anything to celebrate. It's the absolute bare bones of, of being, you know, awake in these times and, and smart and, you know, useful and not part of the perpetuation of the problems. But the penny that dropped was, oh, alongside celebrating oneness, we need to honor diversity. We need to recognize our own specific incarnations. And we need to honor what I am, and then we need to honor and celebrate diversity in the others and other things. So, and then between us, we summarized it in this phrase yes, it's basically, I know you are so different to me, but I love you just the same. And that really moved me. And then I was like, right, that's going to go in a song somewhere. And it's probably a year later that I was like, begin again. And everything I collected over the last eight, two years or something then came through with the tears in this completely inspired moment of like that whole song just pouring through me and coming out yeah it's very nice to talk about it right now with you amy thanks oh i'm really enjoying it too thank you to close out this conversation i am a bit curious about some parts of how you made it especially because of listening to your previous albums and eps if we think about wake up now as an example you can hear a lot of strings you can hear some piano and you've talked about, I've read some interviews where you were saying that you were trying to relinquish some level of control over the recording process by having a live band be part of that. And then I thought, well, you know, you're recording new mythology in perhaps more difficult circumstances. I wasn't sure, depending on the pandemic. I kind of wanted to get a sense of how different the recording experience was for you making this album and, you know, what you learned through that process. I know you were working with a particularly gifted producer in Paris as well. So that might have added to the experience. Yeah, I mean, the first thing to say about the making of this album was that I had the good fortune to be connected with Renaud Latang. Renaud Latang is a, you know, a big name in France. He's, he's you know, one of their biggest producers and, and, and a big name beyond that, actually. And he... He came to prominence in the, I, I think, in the late nineties when he made the albums with Manu Chao, like Clandestino and Proximo Estación. But he's made all the albums with Feist in the noughties. He's made loads of work with um, Conan Moccasin more recently, who's, who's Antipodean, I believe. And he has made stuff with Mac DeMarco. And yeah, he's he's a guy of like very great taste. He has a studio in Paris, which is one of the last standing old school studios, which is a great live space and he has a great team around him and and Renault the studio and his team they just are like plugging into a record making machine they make they make records all the time like every four weeks or every six weeks another one another one another one now the point of saying that is that I only make albums every year and a half or every two years every three years and so they're such master record makers and 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 Renault has great method, great, he's kind of old school, he's great method. And I met him in the middle of 2020. I had this songs, I had most of them. And I was like, okay, I think these songs are, are strong. Obviously the global pandemic in full swing, I was able to travel. I basically had this corridor between where I was based in Spain and where I was making the album in Paris, which 
basically miraculously never closed and and everything I needed, every gate I needed, whilst the world was closing down around me, every gate I needed to stay open seemed to. And I felt there was a kind of bit of a magic wand over this recording process because I I made it to Paris for a series of sessions and we made this record there with him. And um, he really drove me in my performance, in questions of performance, you know, how to give greater performances. And I think you mentioned in your question about my second record and I needed to make that in a very live way with, with a bunch of musicians all in the room at the same time. And that was necessary for me at that time. I was still kind of quite controlling with certain things within the process that I needed to, to get around. And one of the way of getting around my controlling impulses was to get a group of musicians together who were all playing and not just me. That was then. And actually this time around, I was more than happy to work in a multi-tracking recording separate way because I was in a much more less controlling place myself. And that allowed for a lot more precision, which is where Renault Latang really kind of like chiseled it and drove me in the performances and the timing and the tunings. And precision within recordings allows for more energy to flow. And it ultimately allows for more brilliance in the sense of like more kind of energy flowing through it. Yeah. Yeah. I really get that sense when I'm listening to it. It's great to hear that explanation as to what was happening behind the scenes. Another Way to Be is another one of those songs for me that just has that driving force behind it when you're listening Thank to you. it. And also watching people get into it, like you involving the audience in the, the singing of it. Yeah. That particular one looks really fun. Yeah, I can't wait to get to, to Australia and, and, and be doing this over your way. Yeah, I was going to say, when I was Googling you and seeing like when you were last here, is it true that you were here in 2014, then maybe not after? I couldn't really find anything I think after. it was 2015. I supported Ben Howard. Yeah. I was opening out for Ben Howard in like Perth, Melbourne, Sydney. And I also played Splendour in the Grass. Yeah, I found those gigs. Yeah, I yeah. played Splendour in the Grass. And you were at the Toff in town in Melbourne. That's right. And Rowena Wise supported you. I play her music oh, as awesome. well. She's still doing some great stuff. Yeah, but I was like, when are we going to get to see you in person in Australia? Yeah, well. No pressure. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it is. And it's and I hear that, the, you know, my, my songs are getting played and people tell me all the time, you know, mm. got to get over here. So having had a couple of kids just after that time in Australia, that kind of has limited my ability to travel. They're a bit older now, so I'm getting back into it. And then we had the pandemic. So it's somehow seven years plus has, has, has gone that way, but it's totally an intention of mine to get over there a lot more. Well, I'm sure your kids would love Australia. There's plenty to I'll do. I'll bring them with. Yeah, bring them with. Yeah. Well, I want to say a big thank you to you for joining me today. It's been really fascinating to chat and also really lovely to connect around these themes that go throughout this album. And I'm really glad I'm going to be sharing these songs with our listeners uh, that we've been discussing today. So thank you so much for what you're putting out there and um, yeah, giving such a gift to us. It's really, really lovely and much appreciated. Thank you, Amy. Yeah, thanks for the support for playing the records and um, and for this space today to, to chat in such depth about it. My pleasure. I've just been speaking with Nick Mulvey and we've been talking about his new album, which is out called New Mythology. I'm Amy Mullins and you've been listening to the Uncommon Sense podcast. Uncommon Sense is a radio show broadcast on 3RRR FM in Melbourne every Tuesday between 9am and 12pm.